The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. This show is produced by the American Negotiation Institute, and with over 5 million downloads and listeners in over 180 countries, listeners just like you have made this the number one negotiation podcast in the world. Hi, my name is Kwame Christian, and I am the founder and CEO of the American Negotiation Institute. Here at ANI, we believe that the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations, and we are passionate about providing you with the best content that will help you to make your difficult conversations easier, both at work and at home. Lastly, I want to remind you that we offer consulting and conduct trainings, both virtually and in person, all around the world. Our focus is in three main areas. First, negotiation and conflict resolution. Second, leadership. And lastly, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Check the link in the description below to learn more about how we could work with you and your team. And now, without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Ernest. Thanks for joining us, my friend. Hey, man. Thanks for having me back on the show. One of my favorite shows. My Actually, it is my favorite show. Uh, favorite podcast, man. So good to be back. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, this is it's great to have you. And it's always use, uh, great to use this podcast as a tool to catch up with, <laughs> with friends, too. So um, for the listeners who might have missed your first episode, can you remind them a bit uh, about who you are, what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Ernest LeBert Jr., um, here in Columbus, Ohio, with the Royal Oak Initiative, uh, shortened to ROI. We use the game of chess and the wisdom of chess to protect, heal, and build community. Uh, we activate chess clubs around the community, focusing really on engaging non-traditional uh, chess players. Uh, we host leadership training for youth and adults. We also recently opened the Cooperative Chess Cultural Center, also known as The Fork. Uh, it is a really cool chess center located in Old Town East on the near east side of Columbus. And uh, outside of that, we're always looking for ways to connect chess to different elements of culture. That way people can really absorb all the lessons that there are to be learned um, in the game. That's awesome. That is awesome. So yes, listeners of the podcast know that I am a chess nerd. Um, love playing chess on chess.com. And I always like to talk about my percentile and people ask, why, why do you focus so much on getting better? I am chasing Ernest Levert Jr. That's what I am trying to do. I'm just trying to get on your level, man. So this episode is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a, a bit more um, philosophical than our episodes typically are. But we're going to take that philosophy and actually bring it to life with some some real examples. And I love using the metaphor of chess, the examples of chess, and the principles of chess in what I do in my business life, but also as it relates to the podcast, difficult conversations too. And so really what we're going to do is use Ernest's experience as a leader, an entrepreneur, and uh, a community builder, and see how those chess principles kind of inform his decision making and what we can take from it too. So... Let's go a little bit deeper and tell the listeners about some of the newer things that you're working on, and then we could kind of reverse engineer your success using these principles. Yeah, absolutely, man. So one of the first things I would say that makes it easier to build what we call this chess cultural movement here in Columbus 
is just this willingness to explore new ideas, to turn over rocks you never turned over, and to try new things. Um, you know, so I'll, I'll say with the the chess center, our main focus is on attracting people into the space rather than trying to force anything. Um, you know, a lot of people like are saying, "Hey, are you going to teach people? Can you teach me?" I say, "If you come out, there will be someone there who will teach you." We we very much decentralize how we build out the fork, build out the chess center, and build out the chess community, and that's just made it a lot more open for people. Um, you know, kind of doing a, a quick shout out to the world of chess. And, and even think about this conversation, sharing how are we, you and I, constantly working towards getting better at chess? I think that also directly co correlates to how we get, strive to get better in our in our daily lives. So uh, I got a friend of mine named James, and similar to you, Kwame, who are chase, somehow chasing me because Kwame's really good online, but he's we, he doesn't defeat me often in person. Um, it's true. <laughs> uh, so my guy James, man, he he loves chess theory. He knows all the openings. He knows all the grandmasters. He knows all of that. And I was like, man, I need to just fit my natural style. I'm not going. To, I'm not really interested in that. I'm not really interested in studying necessarily, but I do enjoy chess puzzles. And so the way I was able to get better at using doing those chess puzzles was kind of switching my frame of reference. Most people have mental habits in place, right? They go through a process all the time. And and sometimes we can actually cut ourselves short, sell ourselves short if we do that. So what I tend to do when I come up to a new chess puzzle recently is I start looking for the non-obvious moves, right? I immediately ask myself, what are the things that most people are not even willing to consider, right? Most people are not willing to consider sacrificing a queen. Most people are not willing to consider smothered mates. Most people don't consider um, clearance sacrifices you know, throwing out some chess lingo or or decoys. Um, and because those are things that I know most beginners and most intermediate people don't think about, that's where I try, I'm trying to reroute my brain to start thinking about that first, right? And and what that does is it's like, it opens up a, a whole new world of, of opportunity and possibility and also makes you a lot faster on your feet when dealing with difficult situations. And so what you find yourself against is against harder opponents, but you've practiced getting outside the box, thinking beyond traditional responses. And, and I think that's been really helpful in my life. I'm always thinking about, okay, everyone else is doing this. What have we not done yet? What are we not doing yet? Um, what's already working over here? Let me borrow the things I've seen working. I had to go explore them to find out what actually works and then come back and try to apply that to how we're building out um, both on the chessboard and in the community as well. Oh, there's so much good stuff here. Okay. So, and again, uh, what, what we'll do is we'll take these principles and we'll apply it to our difficult conversations. And so we can speak broadly and say thinking outside the box, but there, it's, it's definitely more than that because you are intentionally trying to reprogram your mind because just like with anything else, we have biases, we have preferences. And so we can start to get into patterns. And if we start getting into those patterns, ways of thinking, then it makes it more difficult for us to consider alternatives. And what's interesting is about, uh, about what you said, one of the many interesting things I should say, is that there are many different ways that we can learn. So your friend, James, he, he learns through studying chess theory. 
for me, I, I've read a few books on chess, but the only ones that I've been able to really complete are the ones that tie chess back to life, like business principles or something that's beneficial. You know, like um, Gary Kasparov's book is really good at taking chess principles and applying it to like business and politics. Really fascinating. Another one I like is the, the Tao of chess, chess principle applied to life. Really great. And so, but people learn differently. And so, for instance, I have a book on, on negotiation. Some people might not read the book, but they'll listen to the podcast. Sometimes people don't want to learn from somebody else. They want to learn from their own experiences. And so I, I would suggest trying to try different things in different conversations. And that's fun to do. You learn a principle, you apply it immediately, see how it happens. Another thing that I like to do, Ernest, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this one too, because it's, it's entertaining but it's also fun. So um, I would watch reality TV and watch the breakdowns of conversations. I'm like, okay, when did the emotionality increase? And what did the person do when that emotionality happened? Oh, they added fuel to the fire. That's, it's like, what is the inflection point in the conversation that made it go sideways? And then what could that person have done at that very moment to bring it back on track? And then what happens next? So it's cool to see like almost like a decision tree of a conversation when you're watching the show. They made this decision and that's why <laughs> that's why things fell apart. But if they would have adjusted, then they could have done better in that situation. Mm. I will say one thing that's fascinating is how similar we are, that we have to go into these things with like a sense of purpose. If you were saying, hey, I'm watching these TV shows. The normal Kwame wouldn't be doing that, but Kwame is looking for something. Kwame is on a mission. He has a sense of purpose. Um, that is how I am as well, man. I went to like 50 parks in the city just trying to find the best park to host chess events, right? And so we, it's, it's fascinating how we can do things that seem so intimidating and so overwhelming as long as we find something that's really important to us, that really drives us without us having to try super hard. Um, and, and I would say the other, to respond directly to what you were saying earlier, um, that is one of the things that I, I did to get better, right? After every game, I would always go back and find when did the game change, right? When did I either I start winning or when did I start losing? Like whether I won or lost, my hat that I built was always to go back and review what happened, right? And and I don't and again, I'm not super into studying theory. I'm not going to put it in an engine. That's not my thing. Um, I I'm, I'm really into the human side of chess. I'm not really trying to be a machine. I'm not trying to be a grandmaster. But I, I will go at least back and find at least one move that I could have done better. And, and the move that changed the game, <laughs> that is, uh, that's what I look yeah. for. So I would say that's pretty similar to what you're doing on the reality shows. <laughs> like, what, when, Absolutely. when did everything shift? If you've seen Loki, uh, yeah, I'm not going to spoil the alert, but when did the multiverse begin to unwind? <laughs> Does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat. These workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country. Negotiation and conflict resolution skills are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. And now, back to the show. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. 
In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product, though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so... We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. Yeah, you know, it's funny too, because to that point, one thing that I encourage everybody to do is replay the tape. So you're essentially going by, going back and being your own chess coach. You're taking the time to see what shifted in the conversation. Again, what could I have done differently? Or like, if things didn't go well, what could I have done differently to make it go better? And if I did do something good in the conversation, what was that moment? What are the inflection points? Because not every every conversation, you could say the conversation is important, but not every part of the conversation has equal importance. And so I call these really important points inflection points, where things shift, where there it's a very important time. And so if we start to go back and replay the tape, then we can start to identify what those inflection points are. And so it increases our awareness of, oh, these are the types of things that will signal that we're at an inflection point. I should slow down and make sure I make the right decision in this moment. And if we start to get into that habit of replaying the tape, then we're going to be more aware and we're going to start to make the right decision as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And think about how that applies to difficult conversations. Um, you know, one of the things that we know about chess is there are three phases of the game, right? There's the opening, the middle game, and the end game. And I was just replaying in my mind, because we're replaying conversations and situations, uh, a difficult conversation I had in the last few months. And I just remember how proud I was of the outcome and how intentional it was. This was a person I had a lot of tension with that went unchecked and unaddressed for years. Um, But in the opening, we established our commonality. You know, in the opening of a chess game, most people will go through the same moves, right? And it's almost like it's just the rules of engagement. It's just the opening. It's like it's just kind of the expectation, but the middle game is where things start getting getting crazy, getting murky. And, and I just wanted to give myself a shout out because in that situation, I did have an opening. I said, hey, these are the things that we're trying to accomplish. What's been going on with you? We're establishing trust. We're building familiarity, right? We're, we're establishing, we're setting up the tone for the middle game. And if you don't take time to set up the middle game in the opening, the rest of the game is ruined, right? And, and I just think about how in even you know, yesterday, everything going on in Columbus, how I was like, Ernest, you're a middle game player. A lot of people are being really reactive right now. They're responding to things going on. But Ernest, you need to lock in on the middle game. 
The middle game is where you, I mean, it's easy to checkmate in the, get checkmated in the middle game if you're not paying attention. But also, that's where you need to get all your resources into the game. That's where you need to start positioning people properly. Um, so I just was thinking about how I'm building on the chessboard, how I build in community, a little bit of community organizing, and how that shows up in difficult conversations is that you need to set it up properly or else you're you're not going to be in a position to respond wisely let alone try to accomplish your goals yeah 100 percent. and i love the uh bringing the the ideas of the the opening the middle game and the end game into this too because with negotiation it's just like in chess what they say is it's unlikely that you are going to win a chess game in the opening but you could make a mistake that certainly loses <laughs> the chess game in the opening if you don't take care of it. Now, the problem that I see is that a lot of people don't know when the opening begins in a negotiation, in a difficult conversation. They just start the conversation as if we are beginning in the middle game. But the way I look at it, every relationship, every negotiation is just a never-ending game of chess. So the moment I meet you, the, the opening has begun. And so we'll stay in the opening parts of the conversation in our relationship until a critical conversation happens. Okay, so I've been positioning myself well during the opening, and then there's going to be that opening of that conversation where you're building rapport, getting to learn about the other side, and then we can advance into the middle game where we're at the meat of the conversation. But a lot of people, they just they don't understand when the game begins and it's usually starts sooner than people are willing to, to acknowledge. Yeah. And I think about some of the opening principles. One of the things we've been doing lately a lot, or we've been doing workshops, the Royal Oak initiative has been hosting workshops with the, the library branches here. We're work, working this summer to do um, chess workshops, what we call it chess for wisdom and wellness with 12 library branches. And it's, it's fascinating. One is the, the humbling experience of a, of an experienced person. Um, so I have young people who come in and they get bored immediately if we even think about replaying the rules, going over the rules. And I, I, I was always taught you need to simplify things to make sure the newest person can understand it. And if you can't explain it simply, then you haven't mastered it, right? But these young people, they were so quick to jump in the game, so quick to get into it, similar to what you're saying people with, with difficult conversations. But when I challenge them on some basic habits, some basic concepts, like one, use all of your pieces, right? I, I challenge them. I said, no piece moves twice until every piece moves once, which is just one of those. It, it's the neuroplasticity. They don't know this. They're 10 years old. I'm like, I have to literally reprogram your mind to think inclusively of all these players in your on your team. Right. It was fascinating because some of the students who have been playing the longest were not able to successfully uh, finish the challenge because they were so quick to get certain pieces in the game that they blocked other pieces from getting in the game itself. And I was like, man, there's so much application here. Um, but some of the lessons I think about that is always going in with the mind of a beginner, right, with the attitude of a beginner that I have so much to learn that every situation I, I'm here to learn. Um, and then also, if you if you can't explain something, then you really haven't mastered it. And some of that just comes from repetition. Some of that comes from practicing and, and researching ahead of time. You know, it come, we, we talk about that all the time about preparation. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's really I, I love that you brought in the, the, the term neuroplasticity. So let's go deeper into this. So essentially, neuroplasticity is a, a neurological concept where they realize that the brain is 
plastic. It can move. It can change with experience. So it's not so much that we have this brain that, and it's crystallized in our adulthood. It's that as we experience different things, the brain will actually physically change, which is really interesting. And so when we think about the challenge of thinking outside the box and doing something differently, we have to think about the, the interesting blend of like neuroscience and biology that actually makes that difficult to do. Because your brain is, you have designed your brain through your activity to do certain things a certain way. And then you'll start to do those things automatically. And it takes a lot of effort to reprogram it because of the way your brain has been designed. And so with that exercise, like forcing yourself to, to try new things, like including all of the, the pieces on the board, that's, I mean, I, I'm thinking about that. That would be really challenging to do. But then once you expand your mind in that way, when you are go back to the actual game, the way that it's traditionally played, now you can actually see more options that you wouldn't have even considered before. Mm -hmm. and, and that makes me think about what you were saying earlier about how people learn differently, right? I really enjoy learning the game of chess through history and through the culture. And so there's a book that I have, I forgot what it's called, but it basically takes you all the way back to the origins of the game itself and it introduces different chess concepts as you go. So some of the first openings that beginners learn is the Spanish opening and the Italian opening, right? Um, you know, Kwame, if you're familiar with the Italian, I mean, that's just E4, Knight F3. Um, you're just bringing the bishops, the knights out, and the pawns out, right? You castle, get the queen in the game. Yeah. Super straightforward. But you notice that in that opening, you touch each piece only one time, right? And so now what we're doing is you are recreating the mastery, but you're doing it very organically right you're now you're understanding the concept rather than just trying to memorize it and that's that's something i think that's really important that you're if you don't understand something in its essence it's going to be very hard to pivot and to adjust to a situation that you didn't plan for um you know that's that's part of you know what we what i was going to talk about with you was like the chess power of now i the book that changed one of the books that changed my life is the power of now and i think about the power of now when you're playing chess is that you have to be willing to release your plan. You got to be willing to let go of the past. That way you can actually be present in the future and move in. I mean, be present in the, in the now and move into the future, you know? So it's, it's all these principles. I, I tell everybody, you got to learn the principles. I'm sorry. You learn the rules, then the principles, then the tactics, and then the strategy. Everyone wants to jump straight to strategy. I was like, you got to learn the basics and then you learn the principles and then the principles will, will mature into strategy. Okay, let's let's break that down because that was deep and I do not want to overlook it. So you said rules, principles, tactics, strategies, yes. right? So so let's break down what each of those things mean and then why it's important to 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 operate in that sequence. Yep. So the rules are what you can and cannot do. In in general in the general sense, they are the laws of chess, um but what what I like to call them are a community agreements. That when we come into this space, we have established the do's and the do nots, right? Once you understand the do's and do nots, you, you basically have a skeleton in place. You can do anything. I can move my hands all over the place, but my skeleton is solid, right? And then you have the principles. And the principles are what allow you to start having a sense of direction, a sense of purpose. When I get, I give the students the challenge, right? I phrase it as a challenge and say, hey, use all of your resources. Every piece on this board is important. And every piece on this board needs to be in the game, 
right? We start talking about community building, how everybody is valuable and how sometimes you can be so quick to get in the game, but you're actually blocking other people from getting in the game. That your power, your privilege is actually preventing others from using their power and their privilege, right? So those are mm. principles. These are just general thoughts that I think you can fall back on when you don't know what to do. That's why I like starting with principles before you get into memorizing anything, right? They, a, a general principle is, is knights before bishops because knights have less options. And so it's a lot easier to decide where the best place for your knight is versus when you put a bishop out, that bishop is going to become a target. It's a long range piece, but it's, you have to wait to see how things emerge before you pull out some of your best resources. Obviously in a difficult conversation, that's part of the opening is getting a feel for who I'm working with before I start bringing out certain tactics or certain approaches, certain tools, certain techniques. And then tactics come in. Those are your tools. Those are your concrete. Those are your, okay, I'm going to use the principles I learned, but I'm going to have a very specific way of applying it, right? So if I'm bringing this bishop out, I'm bringing this bishop out with the intention of causing this response or putting you in this situation, right? It kind of turns it around. The principles are more about how you are moving. The tactics are more about start to focus more on how you're interacting with the other person, with your partner. And then finally, strategy is how you put it all together. How does it all flow? It, it gives you the, the flexibility of the, of the principles. It gives you the structure of the rules and it gives you the versatility of the tactics. They all come together. Mm. Build on your, and so oh, go what? Yep. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Keep was, we can edit. Yeah, I'll, so that's yeah it's all good. I was going to say, as long as you, I feel like you learn naturally and don't try to short, short circuit the, the process or shortcut the process then your appreciation for chess is a lot easier. It's way less intimidating, right? I had the students the other day, I, one of them was uh, was kind of, you know, furling their brow. And I was like, raise your hand if you think chess is hard. And they were like, you know, a couple of them raised their hand. I said, everyone stand up. Everyone stood up. I said, everyone sit back down. I have a nine-month-old who cannot do what you just did, <laughs> right? Never forget how we naturally flow, how we naturally had to emerge. We had to struggle with things. And if you struggle with the rules, then you master the rules. Then you struggle with principles, you master the principles. And if you do that, now you're, you're reprogramming your brain on how to learn. So when you get the tactics, you're like, oh, that's easy because I've already seen this before. I just didn't know that it was called a pen. I just didn't know that it was called a forklift. I didn't know this was a back rank mate, right? These are... I just started adding names to it. And then finally strategy, you bring it all together. Okay. Now, what is the danger of learning strategies first? Because I see this all the time in negotiation where people want to focus on the strategies. Just give me the strategies. Give, just give me the strategies. Don't give me the principles or anything like that. Just give me the strategies. So what is the danger in getting the sequence wrong? Yeah. I think if, you, if you're so focused on the plan, so I think about strategy – and, and strategy starts to look like in chess, starts looking like memorizing openings, right? Because that is saying, I'm going to have this master plan of creating this outpost on this dark square, and I'm going to move my knight up there, and then I'm going to be causing, wreaking havoc. It is a long-term vision. But if your knights get taken off the board, what are you going to do with your outpost, <laughs> right? Man, I haven't talked that, that very specific about chess in a long time. But it, it makes it cha more challenging to respond unless you know the principles in place that should create the strategy overall. There you go. Yeah, spot on, right? It makes you more flexible and dynamic. And it's like, um, I believe it was Eisenhower said, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Mm. And then, you know, a more recent philosopher um, said, 
everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. And that was, that was Mike Tyson. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing, you know, because we can create this beautiful strategy, but as soon as you interact with the other side, your strategy will have to change and it will have to change based on your understanding of the under underlying principles at play. And then you see a lot of people who are tactical. They are tactics junkies. So they're just constantly collecting different tactics. Oh, so Chris Voss said this, Alex Carter says this, right? William Urey says this. And so they're just picking out little tactics, do this, do this, do this. And then they're hoping that they can put these things together and then become a better negotiator. And I guess you can tactically become better than baseline, but if you're purely tactical, you're going to be missing out on something. So in chess, let's say if you don't have an appreciation for overall strategy, but you do have a lot of tactics, what are you missing? I think one of the challenges I run into all the time with uh, speed chess players um, is, is they come off, they feel really good about themselves, then we play in person, and their tactics don't work on me. Like, I know what you're trying to do here. <laughs> I think that's one of the challenges is that when you meet someone else who understands the techniques, they're going to see right through it. And the techniques are a part of the game, so, okay, I understand that you're doing this for this reason, but if it doesn't work, you're going to be like, ah, what do I do? It didn't work the way I was expecting <laughs> it. Oh, gosh. Like, I <laughs> I think about the, the tactics for or in, in sales, right? And if you are very robotic with it, your partner will know it, and it changes the whole dynamic of the interaction. You're no longer natural with it. Exactly. There's There's a lack of depth, right? Because we do this tactic, and we want a specific payoff. A lot of times that tactic doesn't work or it doesn't work in the way that we expect it to, but we don't have anything else behind the tactic or we don't have uh, a plan B or we don't have an idea of how we're going to shift. If certain things don't work, we go, we go into the conversation and we say, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that. Okay. Well, things changed. It didn't work the way you thought. Well, what's next? Got nothing else to back up on, right? To re rely on. And so strategy gives you the depth principles gives you the ability to be dynamic, right? And then, of course, knowing the basic rules, I, I would say in, in negotiation, it's having an appreciation of the psychology behind the conversation, too, because everybody's different, but we can start to make better reads if we have a better understanding of the underlying uh, software and hardware <laughs> that, that makes us go as humans. But again, a lot of people are just trying to get that quick fix, those easy answers, and then it shows in their performance at the negotiation table mm -hmm. too. I also think about in chess, for example, uh, the difference between a, a relative pin and an absolute pin, right? You can know what a pin is, but one of the, the, the challenges you run to, into is that a pin can be turned around on you really quick, right? And, you know, it, it turns into a discovery attack. Like your pin is your part, your partner's discovered attack. They, you have a knight pin to a queen. And for those who aren't familiar, a, a pin, it's like you're, you're putting a pin, push pin into a wall and it keeps that paper in place. So you have a piece blocking another piece from an attack. And, and so you are pinning a knight to a queen with your bishop, but then out of a sudden you move the knight out the way, you check their, their king, and now their bishop is attacked. Their bishop is sitting a sitting duck for the queen, right? That it's, if you're too rigid with it, you might actually the tactics will turn around and hurt you in the process. If you don't have, a, I, I'd say principles expand your your understanding of your environment, right? One of the things I always say is the first thing before we even learn chess. I said you need the first thing you need to do when you come to a chessboard is you need to examine your environment. Is the board even oriented correctly? 
Is there a light square on your right-hand side? I know immediately whether I'm going, whether, what skill level you're at if you set the board up wrong. I'm like, oh, this is going to be over very quickly, right? Uh, so, you know what I mean? And so it, it's just really important to to know how to apply the situations in real life. You know, you think about jujitsu or martial artists, right? You may know how to do an arm bar, but how are you going to do an arm bar in a real life situation? Like that person isn't going to be going through the drill with you. You have to be able to respond and set it up properly and and pivot if it goes, literally pivot if it goes wrong or else you'll end up on your back. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, man. Oh, this is good. This is good. Well, for the listeners who are saying, I am now very, very interested in chess and I want to learn more. Ernest, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Well, the best way to learn chess is to get online or get a book from your library. You are in control of your educational pathway. You can learn it. But the best way to get in contact with the Royal Oak Initiative is just to go to our website. It is the T-H-E. Uh, the ROI chess.org shout out to, you know, O state O H I O. Um, yeah, the ROI chess.org. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the ROI chess. Um, and my email address is Ernest E R N E S T at the ROI chess.org. Ernest, appreciate you, brother. Thanks for coming on the show. For sure. Peace. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you, and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.